Hello, hello, everybody. If you have not signed up for our Discord channel, please do so. Visit us at MajorDomaMedia.com. If you don't know what Discord is, just go to MajorDomaMedia.com and sign up and you'll see for yourself. Shout out to all our moderators that were recently sort of deputized to help us govern our growing community. We only promote it here. It's a great place to consume all things in culture, to make you a better diner, to make you a better cook, to make you better at a lot of different things. So I'm grateful for for all the the, the content that is being made, uh, the opinions that are shared. A lot of it's funny. Also, all things Momofuku, visit us at shop.momofuku for the Momofuku pantry items, the noodles that you can get at Target at Whole Foods nationwide. I'm currently out of savory salt, so I have to re-up on that. It is what I use for soups, stews, salads. It is fantastic. And not just savory salt, the tingly salt, the spicy salt. They are really perfect for summer right now, especially if you're grilling or doing long roasts. Uh, it's just extremely versatile. It is what we developed to balance out not just salt and pepper, but what is what you can only taste five things on your palate, right? And uh, we feel that we have a nice blend and it just pairs well with a lot of different things. And I, I'm, I'm working on a chili crunch vinaigrette. I have an idea because uh, one of my friends said, hey, can you turn this into a vinaigrette? I, and I, I was like, sure, why not? It's already got some of the essentials you would need for an emulsion. But truth be told, I'm eating a little less spicy right now, currently, because everything I cook, Hugo is right there watching me. And that's just what he does. Whenever I cook, it's something he wants to participate in. The spice element right now isn't happening. So um, limiting the spice until Hugo can develop a taste for spice. This is a whole nother conversation for dad's episode. Shout out again to Cook Any Day, or the bowls used to unlock the power of your microwave. Think of your microwave as a steamer. And the real problem with microwaves are people cooking it in plastic. The only safe way is silicone, certain shapes of metal and glass. It is uh, a fantastic way. And I dare say it is the best way to cook a lot of things, actually. And I now believe that cooking basmati and jasmine rice in the any day is not only faster, it is superior to other ways. And to my partners at Cometeer, I never drank coffee before kids. But now that it's hot outside, it's summer, I'm drinking oat milk iced lattes three times a day, sometimes four times a day. I need that energy. I need the caffeine, but it's nice to drink something tasty. And I get that in Cometeer. It's so fucking convenient. I just take a box and keep it in my refrigerator to let it thaw out because it's hot outside. I'm not drinking hot coffee so I can make some nice little cold brew uh, cups. And they're very, very tasty. And it feels like a professional made it. Before we go into the show, shout out to Chris and Courtney Storer. I have not seen it yet. I'm still waiting. The show, The Bear, that's on FX. You can watch that on Hulu or Overlords at Hulu. And I'll be honest now, it's not just me waiting to see all of the episodes. Having talked to my friends, it's, it's, it's uh, some people that are cooks that have worked in the industry. It's, it's, um, it makes them feel a lot of things. And I don't know if I'm ready quite yet, but uh, I'm, I'm just so happy that uh, people are talking about cooking and done in a way that's not done poorly. So this is a humongous step, great progress for culinary television, scripted to culinary television. Anyway, we'll get on the show. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Hello, 
Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Demo Media. I was uh, saying that I wanted to do a Spotify playlist for my favorite Yola Tango songs, since we talk about them so much every podcast. That'll be coming. There's a lot of things in the works, clearly, if you've been listening to this podcast. Things are always changing, uh, an ever-moving target. I'm going to talk a little about a meal that I had uh, yesterday. And I think it's important because it, it's, it, it, it talks about lists. It talks about what's good. It talks about a lot of the topics that we normally discuss on this show. I try not to read anything anymore about what to eat, where to eat, what to cook. Not that I'm not curious, but I feel that it gets tarnished or I have some um, expectations that uh, are based on maybe faulty information or someone's opinion that is inherently going to be biased. So in a, in a lot of ways, it's like watching a movie where I haven't watched or seen the trailer or read a review as hard as that is. And I knew nothing about it. I thought we were going to one restaurant, it wound up being another. There is a famous Peking Duck restaurant. I don't know famous, but a, a restaurant that's well known in the San Gabriel Valley called Jifong. I thought we were going there. I, I was with Marguerite and some of the Momofuku team with Chris Chen. And I thought a couple more people were going. I was just finishing up a recipe club dish. So I was running a little bit late and I just put the coordinates in and I showed up and it wasn't the restaurant I thought we were going to. It was a different restaurant called Duck House. Never heard of it. I don't think I've ever driven past it. And these are the kinds of moments that I love where I have no expectations. And I finished the meal after eating some delicious things that I'll get into in a second, saying, I think this is the best Chinese food I've had in a long time. Maybe the best ever. I don't know. That's how you feel like at that moment. You, you have this sense of euphoria that you can say this hyperbolic statement that I think this is one of the best meals. I'm uh, uh, prone to saying something like that, but I felt that way. It was delicious. Everything about it was delicious. The service was good. I, I, I was like, how come this restaurant isn't super, super busy? And then I found out that it was. It just has a lot of private dining rooms. I was surprised at how many white people were eating there. I was totally shocked. <laughs> I had no idea what was happening. But I sat down and I really enjoyed the menu. First of all, because every dish was illustrated, they had a photo, and that's about it. I knew nothing. And yes, a lot of places sell, sell ducks, but is it good? And we, we've gone in detail about Peking Duck on Ugly Delicious, one of my favorite things. If you had to give me a top five foods that I would move off my ass and get on a plane for, Peking Duck in Beijing and China would legitimately be number one. I think it is the greatest food for me. And that's, I think, what we need to be discussing is what I like may not be what you like. And so much of what these lists are and these guides and media in general, you know, it has to be sort of this homogenized thing. And I don't know how we talk about, and it's something I'm going to talk about with Chris in general with a whole team of major dome media is like, how do we give different relative perspectives on certain things? Maybe people agree, maybe people don't agree, but I can tell you this is my, you know, my favorite thing is speaking duck. One of the things that people don't get right in Peking Duck that you really can't do in America is how it's processed for a variety of ways. It's how the innards are exhumed like a mummy, how it's cooked, how it's dried. Most of the ducks that you get in America, the whole, I'll just say the ass of the duck is basically not there. And they have a different way of cooking duck. It's just different. So is it exact Peking Duck? No. I didn't see the process, but it tasted a little bit different. But all that mattered was the skin, duck skin cooked crispy, and most of the fat that disappears and that alchemy that happens with the fat structure, the skin structure in duck, Peking duck is delicious. Most Peking duck that you've had, I'm sure, is labeled as Peking duck, but it's actually like a, just a roast duck. And that's good too. I fucking love that. I was just expecting it to be that. We ordered... Uh, I can't, I don't know them. I never named the, the, the dish that in Mandarin, but the pickled Sichuan soup with fish in it, with a lot of the pickled mustard greens, it's very different than the red one. This is the green one that you'll see in a Sichuan restaurant. So again, I don't even know the, the, what kind of food this restaurant is cooking because you see that dish, you're like, well, that's Sichuan, but Peking duck is Beijing. It's called duck house. And now I'm seeing Cantonese food. It's, it's this like diner-like menu of the best of hits. So that initially caused me to think maybe this is going to be good. Maybe this is going to be good until I started tasting it. 
they were out of pea shoots that my normal order. They had like, I don't even know what it was. Uh, the vegetable was, it was almost, the, the tubes almost felt like they were rigatoni. It was like a water lily, something like that. Fucking outrageous. And again, it's the kind of dish I don't know how to make at home because I don't have wake. I'm not going to cook with that much fat. And I'm not going to just put, I'm just not going to make it. It's it, those kinds of the, the sauteed vegetables done well, I think are the, just one of my favorite things to eat. And, and it makes you just never want to eat broccoli or just normal vegetables ever again. You're talking about like the hollow, hollow stems, right? Like, yeah. that's, oh my God. But they so were fat. They, these, these things were fat. We didn't order that much because I had just fed everybody a bunch of recipe club stuff. That it took me 30 minutes to clean up because it was, a, you know, we'll talk about that on Recipe Club, but it was a fucking nightmare of epic proportions of cleanup. So it took me 30 minutes to clean everything up. I wanted to clean up before Grace got home. So I'm full. And plus, I can't stop eating. So I was I told myself I would just have a, a little taste of it. I ate the whole thing. I was thinking I'm just going for duck. This is the best kind of eating. It's similar. This is the, the kind of level of quality you would want in a dish. And it's a, it's a take that Albert Agia, arguably the, one of the greatest chefs of all time, would say when he chose to make desserts at LBE, we should do this whole decoded on LBE soon. He could have done anything because he made a lot of, he made everything, not just pastry. He liked making pastry and desserts the most because at LBE, you would have a five-hour dinner with maybe 30 to 50 courses. The last thing you want to do is eat dessert. So that's the ultimate challenge. So I'm walking into this meal very full and I'm just like, I'm just going to get some duck and that's it. So we ordered pretty moderately. We got some skin on crispy shrimp. I, again, this dish was amazing because they took the heads off and then popped them back on reverse still with the head of the shrimp. And if this doesn't make any sense to you, I, I don't know how to describe it because I had never seen that before. So they popped the head and they popped it back on. And the way you can fry it a certain way, you can turn the, 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 the structure, the shell of the shrimp into something that's crunchy and edible. And it was so fucking good. You eat the whole fucking shrimp, tail and all. We had Kung, Kung Pao chicken, which doesn't make much sense. But I will tell you, we've talked about this with Chris Yang before. A good Kung Pao chicken is, is like a game changer. You, you, these are even the bad Kung Pao chicken I'll fucking eat. But when it's good, you're like, fuck. Because <laughs> people forget that it's actually a traditional dish. It's just been bastardized so much. Uh, let me just tell you the duck. Let me before we go into everything else. The duck pancakes, I think, were the best pancakes I've ever had. Well, including including China. Again, that might not be true because if I was in China, but like think about that. It causes me to think that way. It may not be true in reality, but if I feel that way, then it's relative it's relative to me. It's that good where I'm like, holy shit, is it in conversation to be the best? Similar to when you listen to Bill Simmons talk about a young players, you have to put into consideration are they in worthy to be mentioned in the best? So I would say yes, these pancakes. I, I, I literally like, are these frozen? Are the whatever? I don't know what and how, but they're so perfect. Perfect in the sense that they didn't tear. They were extremely thin. You could read the New York Times. They say that a perfectly sliced lox, you know, salmon is thin enough where you can read the New York Times. You could definitely read the fucking New York Times <laughs> with these things. And they didn't break apart. They were really sturdy. And, and, and could the presentation be different? Whatever, whatever. Yes, it's not trying to be perfectly authentic, and I'm fine with that. Was it delicious? Yes. Am I telling somebody that's been going there for 15 years that this is news? No, absolutely not. People are like, well, it's called fucking Duck House. And I, I've been going there my entire life. It's delicious. We got the soup. The Sichuan soup was, um, I'm going to say, different. All right. <laughs> I like Mott 32 in Las Vegas at the Venetian. They do this creation. I know, again, Chris has had it where it feels like it should be bad. A Cantonese version of a classic Sichuan pickled fish dish soup. Because this version had zero mala. It had no peppercorns in it. Hmm. I've never had this dish where you can actually taste everything. And all the pickled mustard greens. Yeah. There's zero blowout. It was so pure. But was wow. there heat? Yes. There just wasn't mala. Hmm. Again, Understanding this, it is quite possible that I will never get that dish ever fucking again, <laughs> that quality of dish, because it's quite possible. There's many scenarios that could have happened. 
somebody forgot to put the peppercorns in. That's how you get creativity. <laughs> no, seriously, like that's how fucking penicillin was invented. It just shit happens. Combination of things happen and you get something new. It's quite possible that was an accident. Next time I go there, it's with scissor on peppercorns. But then you have to think, oh my God, I never actually tasted this without Szechuan peppercorns. There was zero mala. It was salt. It was perfect. The fish was cooked in it. It's this soup that was so good. I can't even describe the perfect. This was the, the best version of this dish. And when I say the best version of this dish, it's not even remotely close to an authentic version of the dish. Who gives a shit? It was fucking delicious. And honestly, I know so little about Sichuan food. Maybe that actually is the authentic version. <laughs> and I finished this meal saying, I think this is one of the best Chinese meals I've ever had in Los Angeles. It felt that way. And then I looked it up and there was no, it wasn't mentioned anywhere. It wasn't on the best of list. The reason I was looking at the best of list is because where I started this journey was all the way on the west side at the airport. And I just eaten at Parks and I just eaten at Major Domo. So the, my go-tos are there. And I've had so much Italian food this summer. I don't want to fucking eat anymore. I don't want to go to Chispaca. That's like my, 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 my holy trinity Bermuda, Bermuda triangle of what I like to eat right now. So I couldn't go to those. I could go to Koreatown. This was going to be a uh, conversation kind of meal. So I can't just put my head down and eat kalguksu or like spicy potato neck soup or, put, you know, there's just things I couldn't do. And, you know, I started looking where to eat in Koreatown. I said, look at all the lists. They're all the same. There's no variation on any of the fucking lists anymore. I think all the lists are based on the same list somehow. And there's some variations. What is different on these lists is people's opinion. You have the infatuations like bro, bro-y take on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is the best. Eat this and this. And that's really informative and I think helpful for people. You know, LAS, LA Mag, LA Times, everyone has their list. I'm sure for the most part, it changes here or there. It's also impossible to update all the time. It just is. But here I am, decided not to go to Chaytown, and I didn't, in the SGV, I thought we were going to Jifong. I thought maybe we'd go to Sichuan Food. I don't know. Thankfully, Chris Chen, our partner in Major Media, was like, I forgot. This guy lives here. He's been here almost his entire life. He's going to know it better than most. And he actually is sneaky, knows where to eat everything. And it also is true in the SGV, which is, you know, sometimes feels like a, a, a Heart of Darkness Conrad novel where, like, the deeper you go, the less it makes fucking sense, Right. It just doesn't make any sense when you get to Monterey Park and you go to a place and it's delicious. Outside of, say, LA Taco, that really, you know, they, they recently tried to do a, a list of SGV. Like, I'm just going to say, I think most of the lists that are on the SGV, we maybe were relevant at one point, are not relevant now. We went to Duck House and I was like, I don't know how to say this. It was awesome. But if I talk about it, maybe it's not going to be good for anybody else. If you look in the, it's been around for many years. It's clearly really good. There's a photo of Ben Wallace, the Hall of Fame NBA center for the Detroit Pistons, formerly also short-term on the Washington Bullets. <laughs> Make That's sure weird. He's, that. a, he's a photo. There's a photo of him on the fucking wall. I was like, what the fuck? You know, there's Jay Chow's on the wall, you know, and, and um, it just is a different vibe of a Chinese restaurant in the SGV and I wasn't looking for it. It's the same kind of feeling I had when I didn't want to eat at El Cano and when Bourdain was with Wiley Dufresne and Danielle Baloud. We're so full. We're there for Gastronomica. The last thing any of us wanted to do was eat more turbo, meat, more gin and tonics. I mean, that's such a fucking asshole thing to say. But when you're stuffed to the, you know, to the brim with delicious food, the last thing you want to do is oftentimes eat more. That to me is a benchmark meal because it's the last thing I wanted to do and it wound up being the best meal I've maybe ever had the most enjoyable company, et cetera, et cetera. I had a similar feeling with this. Is it on the best of list? No. Did I discover anything new? No. Jay Gold wrote about this when he was at his best, I think, when he was at LA Weekly, when he was doing the fucking work. And I think the menu hasn't really changed that much. And his review, you should read, is really good. But that's been fucking 2009, I think it was written, or 10 or 11. I mean, that's over a decade. So let me let me ask you a couple of questions here, Chang, because you said two different things. One, you said this might be one of your best meals 
in Los Angeles, full stop. And you also said this might be one of my best Chinese meals in Los Angeles, full stop. Right now, if if you had a whatever, mid-July 2022, Dave Chang's best restaurants in Los Angeles. Is this duck house on there or is it subcategory Chinese food? Subcategory SGV. I say the best restaurant in Los Angeles for me has been Hamlet's Kitchen because, you know, oat cooked over mesquite. The, the Lebna is delicious. Uh, I just love that restaurant. Yeah. Is it for everybody? I don't know, but I love it a lot. So I left thinking this is one of the best meals I've had in a long, long time. And I, I is it because I had low expectations or, quite frankly, zero expectations? Who gives a fuck? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Is I felt really happy about it. And maybe that's something we should be doing is not reading any lists or not. I don't know. I don't really have an answer here, Chris, because clearly you need a guide. I don't know whether reviews make sense anymore. You know, we have TikTok where people are going, not going to restaurants like every day and documenting it. You even have Roy Choi with his awesome food vlogs now. Like, it, it, you know, everyone's been deputized to do the work. So in one regard, not even the list, like what's the point of a, a food critic now telling me their opinion on something besides trying to sell fucking newspapers with a star review or besides that, you know, trying to um, write a negative review. What's the point of writing a negative review? People won't go there. There's nothing other than ego involved. I think personally, if I was one of the guardians, I would just try to talk about restaurants that nobody's going to or talking about or it's on anybody's radar. What in today's day and age, what's the point of talking about a restaurant that everybody's talking about? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As somebody that is uh, that has a platform, shouldn't we be talking about the things that nobody's talking about? You know what it's like, Dave? It's like when you were about to, when the NBA draft is about to happen and it's like. Check out our 14 analysts, top 10 players. And you're like, this is the same top 10 players, just in slightly different orders. Like, what is this? It's all the exact same places. Well, a little bit, if you're watching basketball, it was like Pablo Benchero. They thought he was going to be number three, and he goes number one. Orlando Magic fans are pissed off. But the fact is, the only people that saw him play were the fucking coaches and the scouts, and they knew. You have to develop your own opinion on certain things that may or may not be right, but that's okay. So I I was I was just wondering like it all trickles down from a a, a the 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 a, a newspaper or magazine's review right I'm not saying they're not useful but are they useful like are they useful now in 2022 I don't have that answer and I'm not trying to pick a fight with anybody I'm I'm really not I we need people with their palates with their education to just find new shit right which is hard there's limitations to budget and travel. That's just the nature of the beast, but it can be done. Fucking Jonathan Gold, when he was at his best, that's what he was doing. He won a goddamn Pulitzer for talking about and writing about things that nobody was writing about. So, But I think the other thing you talk about often is it's not just like, it, it, that's a huge part of it because uh, if we all just start going to the same, we're all going to the same 38 restaurants over and over again, that can really kill a food scene. But I, I want you to... I think this might be an interesting exercise to get to what you're talking about, because I think the other part of recommendations that you talk about often is who is recommending this? Who Who is this person and why am I listening to them? Are they like me? So our business partner, Chris Chen, recommended Duck House to you. He also, I think, introduced us to Spoon by H. So no, the, he did, but he didn't know. He didn't he didn't know what he had. He didn't know what he had in his hands. What he, he when had he, not really <laughs> been there yet. That was Roy. We blew up Roy's spot. So, so he, 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 I'm saying he finds some gems, but can you give, give people a sense of like who he, when you hear a recommendation from Chen, sometimes I know you listen and sometimes you don't, right? Like, you know who he is and what he knows best. When it like, comes to, when it comes bit? to NBA, when it comes to production in film, when it comes to certain topics, when it, when it comes to Chinese food, yes. Outside of that, you have to you have to be a doubting Thomas, just a little bit, just enough. <laughs> okay. So the thing is, I, I, you're you're being very kind to him. I agree. When it's like, hey Chen, where's the where should we eat Taiwanese food? Where should we eat uh, Peking duck? Like the dude has a spot. He's got a spot. But if you ask him where to eat breakfast, I would almost never listen to him <laughs> because yeah. he just well he he always says Nate and Nows, right? Uh, it's always the same thing. But this is the point, right? Like. 
He's just one example. Everybody, like, I would listen to Chen for that, but not other stuff. Yeah, but the funny thing is, going back to Spoon by H, I was, the reason I was so shocked is it was in business for five years. (laughs) (laughs) Just sitting there. Nobody fucking talked about it. Just sitting there doing its thing with a hardcore following of people. The same hardcore following, because I know back in the day, and you know this, people used to read Chowhound. They'd read the message boards, and that's how Critic would find. Oh, this is where I'm going to go eat. It, it, mm-hmm. it wasn't like people, it was in a vacuum. I know because Roy, this guy, this movie producer Roy was telling fucking everybody under the sun, eat here. So it's clearly wasn't a secret. Mm-hmm. Nobody fucking talked about it. Yeah. What's funny is if you, if you looked at the location, <laughs> this is the funniest thing. If you look at Spoon by H on a map, it is like surrounded by places that are on lists. <laughs> like surrounded by places that you've you've heard of. There's a fucking sugarfish down the street. There's a John and Vinny's. There's Moza's right there. It's like surrounded by places, and you're just like, it was just sitting there <laughs> in between all of these places, and and nobody bothered to open the door. So like, there yeah. are definitely hidden gems. And like you know, Cho introduced me to Sun Undong, who he's never forgiven me for for talking about <laughs> it, because that was where he would go to eat at two in the morning, and. You know, and like, listen, I, I, I'm lucky that I have people that go to places and do the fucking work and it's been wonderful. And I, I, I want to trust someone's opinion. So if Dave Cho tells me eat here, it's going to be fucking good. Many years ago, he's like, you got to go to this restaurant called Bistro Nas. I was like, oh dude, like, I don't want to go on the East side. It's fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Dave Cho should be a fucking restaurant critic. (laughs) (laughs) Right, write the fucking reviews. Um, not restaurant, but like, I just want new because like everyone's eating the same shit. Everyone's cooking the same shit. Everyone's making the same shit. And it was nice. It, not that there's anything innovative about it. It's been doing its thing and it's going to be doing its thing with or without me for a long time. I'm just saying I had a great meal there. What was interesting was while it's been written about and people certainly know about it, it's not a surprise. It's not an any like. Like what? Is, what happens if you say uh, you'll you'll find it on best peaking ducks of L.A. lists, but it's never sniffed the like main list of L.A. It's never come close to you know. It's part of the, like as as somebody who used to have to work in this field much more. You know, there's code words for this, right? It's like you don't say it's the best restaurant. You say it's like one of the seven places to try peaking duck. But in talking, there's like there's like this double edged sword, right? Like you just said, like Cho never forgave you for blowing up Sungundan's spot. Like, <laughs> I imagine people are going to hear you talking, waxing poetic about Duck House and go there. But immediately it's it's like not going to be the same experience because part of your experience was like being wowed and surprised, right? Finding deliciousness in an unexpected place as opposed to going to a place expecting something great. But I just want to know, is there anything new? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's like chicken and anything. Is there nothing new because we're not discovering new or, you know? Is there nothing new to discover because we keep on talking about the same things? But there is. Because <laughs> every few years, you stumbled into a Spoon by H or a Duck House, and you're like, what the fuck? This was just sitting here. This was just here. So it's there. When it's also my fault, I think we're all guilty because we want the comfort. We want to go to the same things. I just told you I go to three restaurants all the time. You know, Major Domo, <laughs> Chispaca, and, uh, and Parks for the most part now. Right. I don't blame anybody. This is, but also to an audience reading it, don't you just want to know the things that you have to hit? You know, it's, it's not like there's another Statue of Liberty in New York City. <laughs> Top five statues of liberty. Is, is, there, uh, is there, oh, there's Wall Street and there's NASDAQ in, in fucking Times Square. Like, okay. Yeah, there's exceptions to the rule. Right. But it's not like, you know. We'll come back next year for the S&P. Yeah, there's... <laughs> At some point, it's important. You need to have this for people clicking on. But I find myself oftentimes going to a city and clicking on where to eat, what's the best, because you want to get a sense. And you'd be an idiot if you didn't hit certain things. Mm -hmm. But these lists are so fucking powerful because they are needed. They are 100%. And this is the, 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 the paradox. You need to have them, but does it consume everything else? Well, the, the the reason for lists is people have this, are driven by, I'm going to say, I guess, FOMO, right? Or opportunity cost. I have three days in LA. I don't want to waste. You know, that that's what everyone always says. Like, I don't want to waste a meal. I don't want to waste an hour. I don't want to go see the wrong thing. I want like a guaranteed hit. 
So like, how long do you have to spend in a place to be able to like, before you move to LA, you know, I mean, you're probably still going to parks and major Tomo and cheese because you're probably going to the same places, but like, you know, you only find the, the, the duck house after living there. You only find these places that are off the beaten path. So like, how long do you have to be in a place to like, feel like you know it at all? I mean, my friend Desmond does like, he goes to all these restaurants, man. And, and, and he, He's out there discovering. I just think maybe most of the responsibility should be on the diner. Just go and discover to go get data yourself and to see. Like in yeah. Japan, especially when you don't speak the language, you can't read. You know what you do? You just go into places. That's how you eat whale accidentally, you know? That's how uh, I eat whale accidentally. <laughs> That's literally the same thing. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. You know, Japan is a good example when I would visit my friends that lived on the Western side of Shinjuku, Shinjuku itself is, is the size of like Delaware in Tokyo, right? It's fucking huge. It's like a city in, in, in a giant city of like 25 million people. You take the, the JR line all the way West and oh my God, I can't remember the specific town, but everybody knew where to eat in that town. Are there restaurants to go to? Yes. But there was a conversation about local restaurants that were delicious. I could go get, um, Okinawan cuisine, right? And I, I'm chewing on pork bone uh, that's been cooked for like four days and then covered in mayonnaise and then deep fried. It was like weird stuff to me. Or I'm eating raw chicken in Kababashi because Ed Higgins and I at the time didn't know the best yakitori shop. We didn't know Ed Higgins, a chef that we used to work together in craft and he was uh, at the Four Seasons, I think. Shout out Ed Higgins. Um, we didn't know. He just moved there. I just moved there. And it's, it was really good. There was a yakitori shop in Kapabashi, which is the, the sort of the central kitchen supply place that is amazing in Tokyo. It, it goes from what feels like miles and miles and miles, but it's just a, like a few city blocks that, as far as the eye can see, of just kitchen supply stuff and restaurant supply stuff. And there was a wonderful yakitori shop that was delicious. We would get a chicken and the chef would break it down. One chicken for both of us. And it was like a degustation and it was like 50 bucks and you get some little bit of everything and you get soup at the end. I'd have some raw chicken too. It was our favorite spot. Here's the thing. It's possible that somebody writes about it and says, Oh, that's a chain mm -hmm. or that restaurant sucks because you should go here because this is where you're supposed to go. Cause it's Michelin rated. It is possible that in that moment, it was the best restaurant in Tokyo. It is possible that me eating there with my knowledge, it was the best restaurant for me only to be later ruined by somebody else, <laughs> you know, and, and, and this is the problem with the best and all that stuff. And, and you know, a lot of the stuff that when we did ugly delicious gets misinterpreted why my love of Domino's. No, we didn't own anything. We had no stock. We didn't get paid or anything. But I mean this, if I grew up eating Domino's and I think it's the best, is it wrong for me to say at one point I thought it was the best pizza and I enjoyed it? Is it wrong for me to say something like that? No, it's extremely relative. So these are moments that sort of uh, we need more of and that are relative to your experience. And I don't care anymore if somebody says, if I go back in time 
And I have no idea because I've never found out about it. And I had all of this written down in my journal that got lost in Hurricane Sandy with the photos. So I can't remember fucking anything that happened. <laughs> other than it was the Yakitori shop with Ed Higgins. We'd go there as much as we could because we never had anything like that. And it's also quite possible that that was a Yakitori master that later, 10 years later, has, you know, restaurant, this, this, and this. Changing. I don't know. But there's power in not knowing. There's power in finding something delicious for yourself. We had that experience at Atlanta when we ate at April. So that's 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 amazing. So I just, I just want to like take apart a little bit what you were just talking about because you went to this yakitori place that you that's lost the time and space, and who knows? Maybe it was just a chain. Maybe like if, if Dave Chang today went back there, fresh, like had never been there before. Maybe you go to that yakitori place and you're like, this is garbage. This is terrible. But that doesn't, that can't, nothing can take away the feeling of being there in that moment when it was the best restaurant for you and Ed Higgins. Nothing can like take away that part. If you grew up with really only listening in whatever state you're in and you were listening to Nickelback, <laughs> it's like your only form of rock and roll and everyone around you like Nickelback, right? Yes. You would think Nickelback's great. Yes, you are it's describing. A, it's a not not a possibility. It is a possibility that you would think Nickelback is great, or you would think <laughs> you would think Oasis. Oh my God! I mean, I think they are rock and roll. I think Oasis is rock and roll. Champagne Supernova. It's the best song I've ever fucking heard. Are you and just reading my that, journal now? This just feels like you're reading my journals. I've been that fucking person, that snob. And really, what we're talking about is a snobbery in food, mm -hmm. right? No one has been a bigger snob than me. I, I'm basically a persecuted. <laughs> people for not being snobbish enough yeah and the worst kind of snob are the people who say oh, i'm not a snob i'm just a self-admitted worst kind of fucking snob <laughs> the worst kind of snob that can have high brow taste and low brow taste <laughs> yeah so you know I, I i would remember in my phase from music we're like oh my god this fucking person loves oasis like or they love nickelback oh my god they love uh train or whatever fucking you know you just like you think of them, but who? It makes them happy. Who yeah. fucking cares? Yeah, I don't care if you're a forty-five-year-old adult and you just read Harry Potter. And it's the only book you've ever read. It made you happy. Mm -hmm. But there are a line to say like this is definitively the best. <laughs> you know, there's a difference in saying Nickelback is the best, or you think I, the, the specific sort of set of words that are meaningful. I like it. Mm -hmm. I think it's really nice. I enjoy it quite a bit. But then to tell everybody, not that I would ever do such a thing. <laughs> oh, really? This is the best and everything else is garbage. I'd never do anything like that. There's no hypocrisy or contradiction in me. Uh, sign up for the Major Demo Media Discord today <laughs> to see whether this hypocrisy exists or not. It would also be extremely meaningful if I said, hey, listen, I go there once a month. And this is how I feel. I used to feel that way about Oriental Garden. The mo I've eaten there more than most restaurants in New York City on Elizabeth Street back in the day. Without Oriental Garden, I wouldn't have pork buns because that's where I saw the steamed bun for the first time on Duck. So you go there, you build a relationship. So what I, you know, I build a relationship with Duck House. I go there. Then I think my word carries more weight. It's like, hey, I eat here a lot. It's really good. Restaurants can have its off nights. And my job is to find another restaurant. So I walked around after Duck House and we walked across the street to Elite. What a good name for a restaurant. Elite restaurant. <laughs> Just put your credentials right in your sleeve. Yeah. What is Elite? <laughs> well, if you look on the, I looked online, they say it's a dim sum house. But you walk into the restaurant, there's only four things on the fucking menu. <laughs> the lowest is like $700. What is this? What? It only feeds group, like it's it's it, there, awesome. there's like it's like going to Lobster Fishman Clubhouse Restaurant in, in Markham in Toronto. You can only order menus for the group, and there were like twelve. Each category was you know in different price groups, but you would get a variety of things. <laughs> I didn't look at it online, but I thought to myself, I don't you know I I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad. I think that the, like there are a couple of. I'm just thinking about I'm thinking about the the, the takeaways here. And this is like coalescing for me a little bit over this course of this conversation that we didn't know where it was going to go. First, I think there is like, be skeptical. <laughs> you have to be skeptical of not just lists, but anything. Like it's, it goes back to what we were saying in the beginning of like, I take our, our friend Chris's word on Chinese restaurants. I don't take his word for breakfast. 
you know, like you should apply that to lists as well or anybody, anybody whose word you're, you're not necessarily sure of. But here's the thing. It's not even about you're unsure of. And I think there's different pockets to this. The people that are making the list for the major food publications are credible and extremely knowledgeable. Where it falters potentially is that they can't update it all the fucking time. They can't. There's other shit to cover. Doesn't mean they're not knowledgeable, extremely knowledgeable, but you just can't. Some is there just like well, so the other part perfect. is I think you have to be open. <laughs> like you have to be open to experience. Like that, that lays lies outside. You have to be open to the notion that like you can have a great meal outside of a place that you were told to go. You have to be open to that possibility, which is proven by, you know, your great meal at the hotel restaurant in Atlanta. I mean, I I think like Here's another example from our very brief time in Atlanta. We spent most of the time on one of these giant uh, studio soundstage sets, you know, where where everybody's filming things in Georgia now. Most of the time, you know, when it comes to like lunch on a set like this, it's craft services. It's the same as any sort of like large, you know, situation where you're feeding a ton of people. You know, you write that off as not as like, I'm not, this is just going to be like Cisco food. I'm not going to eat this stuff. I will tell you, like, it was it like the greatest food in the world? No, but like the vibe of like this this set in Atlanta, where like they were just playing hip hop and people were super happy to be eating. Like everybody is really happy to be doing this. They had a we were shooting on like the day before on July third or something. They had a barbecue. Like I can't recommend this as a place to eat. I can't recommend this. I can't like, recommend here. something I thought was really good. They made hamburger bombs. Did you have what one? Was a hamburger bomb. I didn't have a hamburger bomb. Mm, mm. I still think that? I have a exactly. It was a burger. Baked in like a, a dough encased dough. Where thing. the hell was that? I know. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I know. And I would literally be like, I go into the bathroom and I would just stuff my face. <laughs> just go find another hamburger bomb. But you know what I mean? It's like you can be, you can be. There's good food, ev- there's good food everywhere, man. And that's it. And in New York, uh, when I was there last with JJ, uh, I, I think where we're killing time to go to the airport, I, I went to uh, Wolfgang Steakhouse. I had a fucking awesome steak there. Mm hmm. I, amazing French fries and a bartender that was hilarious and did everything I wanted. That was a great meal, mm-hmm. but we don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about just the good to great. If you ask most people in towns that have a Hillstone Houston's or a Sag Harbor Inn or White House Tavern, that's all the same company. They'll probably tell you Palm Beach Grill. I think there's a yeah, whatever. They have different names. The same thing. Hillstone is probably their favorite restaurant in that fucking town. Yeah. Everybody loves it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is sure. that so wrong to be like, yeah. it's good? I mean, I also want to say this to the credit of the people who are working at all the major food media places creating this list as somebody who has been in that position. One, I can't speak for everybody, but I imagine this is true. We fucking hate making those lists. Like, we don't want to do it. We make it because people, to your point, Dave, want them. They click on them. They, they, the ads pay for them. Like nobody wants to make those lists. And moreover, when you're in charge of doing something like that, half the time, there's the dirty secret. You're just like, how the fuck do I know? How do I, I I'm supposed to include, like, I live in LA, so I should definitely include a Korean restaurant from Koreatown, but like, I'm not a Korean expert. How do I? Put, I guess I'll put. But how, I mean, I how do you? Everyone says is good. Parks. But how do you not? There. How do you not write about parks? Right? right. Like you have to. What I want are more people talking about their experience at parks. You know, right. and the good ones do. Right. Without like, having to necessarily feign expertise. I hate feign no, for expertise. Example, Matt Kang at Eater when he talks about Korean food, like that. When he talks about his parks, that's like that's what I love. Like it's. But you can't have that relationship with everything. They're just physical limitations. But I'm thinking we need to share more about our our own um, likes and dislikes. We need to do that. So I'm going to just randomly, what's your five best meals, top of your mind, you've ever had? Five. I've top ever five. Ever top had? Five. Top five. Most memorable. Could be most memorable. Most memorable, which for me is most delicious. Most memorable. Probably. I mean, they're all going to be so ritzy, man. I know. It's fine. Probably Favikin in the wintertime. Okay. Favikin's one. Probably when you... This is an order because it's coming off the top of your head. Yeah, I'm just saying. Probably when you, me, and Corey ate at Saison together. (laughs) Just a nightmare. First time... There should be a behind-the-scenes special about that meal. (laughs) It's just not... Somebody (laughs) took out a ninja sword... (laughs) Sliced a, sliced a fucking punching bag, bag open. <laughs> uh, 
I believe this video wasn't me. <laughs> Pretty sure it wasn't <laughs> you. And there was a third party that was there. Who will never admit never, to this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> never admit to who huh. truly sliced open the punch. Huh. Huh. <laughs> okay, Saison. Pavakin Saison, what else? I mean, this is weird, but it was. I mean, this will feel pandering, but like when you and I first met, we ate at Sambar for like 12 hours straight and just talked about this kind of stuff, actually. Like that was a, a pivotal meal for uh, me. I, 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 I'll pay you later. Thank you for that. <laughs> Three. Sambar. Sam. Or four. Um, Probably the first meal at Noma. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. And, five. Uh, I've been trying to think of something that's we can do. Appreciate. We could do this five to ten later. This is a thing that can always change. I'm just trying to think of this. I, want, not pe- bougie, I want more people to share this shit. This is what we need. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, I'm, tr- I'm sharing these things and it's like, I'm going to get so slagged for being so bougie about it. But um, what am I at? That's four of them. Fifth one is probably... Okay, off the top of my head, it was when I went to Matsuhisa as a as like a nineteen year old who had never had nice sushi Beautiful. before. Beautiful, I love that. Great yeah. answer. See, I'm embarrassed. I just wrote down twelve that came to my head while you were going. I wrote down twelve. <laughs> and I also put a caveat. I also put a caveat: no sushi, no barbecue. Okay, okay, okay. And, and you know what? Surprise at twelve, Elcano, which I had just mentioned was probably when I think about it, the most memorable meal, but didn't come to mind. So this is just. Stream of conscious. So 12 was Elcano, 11 Echabar, mm-hmm. two restaurants in the Basque region of Spain, 10 first meal at Chateaubriand in Paris with Enaki Aizbitarte. Um, and I can't remember anything. Right. But that was Enaki peak of his powers too. Oh peak, my God. Peak. Here's what I remember. That's what I did. I, I have a good memory for food. I don't remember any of the dishes. <laughs> I remember dishes I made with Anaki because we cooked together a lot. But that meal, that first meal, I remember thinking, I, I told myself this, that he's the culinary version of Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. That's why I remember it. That meal was so electric that I said, oh, my fucking Lord. That's a this great mother, comp. This yeah. motherfucking guy that was a dishwasher in Tel Aviv, never cooked professionally, is legitimately the first person I've ever met that is a culinary genius like was born with it. Yeah, the combinations, everything. I was like, what the fuck? Right. Because actually, if you watched Hendrix play, you wouldn't be like, oh, I love when he played that song or that song. No, he, you can't, just be he, like can't, he can't read music. In the fucking, the performance of it all, just the act of it. Peak Inaki, that was like, that's what I wrote as 10. Nine, my first meal at Le Servan, Tatiana mm. Leva. Because again, whether it was the best, that's what I'm telling you, who doesn't, it's memorable to me is like the best. Because I hadn't had those flavors ever in Paris or Europe, ever. And it was so good. And she's one of the very best chefs in the fucking world. And she's badass. It was mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Eight Florilege in Tokyo. Oh, interesting. I've never been there. It, it, the, again, you're going to see a theme. Uh, she, a a uh, disciple of Pascal Barbeau and Lestrance. It was amazing. I thought, I remember this too, because I have photos of it. From start to dessert. The best savory courses I've ever had in my life. Wow. The dessert, no offense, chef. <laughs> if they just ended it. Right. Listen, you could just divide it. Just, just leave it at the savory courses are the best in my life. And the rest speaks for itself. Or they just serve perfect strawberries instead of Ooh. doing, you know, uh, you know, this is where, again, this figs on a plate. No, 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 no. When everything's figs on a plate, it doesn't fucking count. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool, man. That's like two episodes in a row where you've just sung the phrases of like fruit on a plate. It's cool. You've grown. Seven. Seven. Jeremy Fox, my meal at Ubuntu. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, my God. Ubuntu is so good. Single-handedly changed dining, Western dining. That fucking dinner was insane. Yeah. Insane to like get snow peas and sugar snaps and vegetables that were just plucked. Yeah. To get an ox heart carrot that was gnarly and aged and basted in butter, you saw a lot of these elements copied and taken by every single restaurant in the world. Is that influential? Ubuntu was the Velvet Underground type of mm. influence, <laughs> right? They sold like 10,000 albums, but every fucking band, what, what is that p- uh, phrase? But that's what I feel that Ubuntu was. It was nothing, nothing I ever had was like it. The ground floor of a yoga studio in the middle of Napa when nobody was doing that. 
a guy that people knew about because he took over for Joseph Centeno, uh, who's now got a bunch of restaurants downtown Los Angeles, as the CDC for David Kinch and Manresa, who had embraced a lot of this ar- arpege, Alain Passard mentality. And here he was translating into Napa in a way that had never been done before. And I mean, had never been done before because it has never, still to this day, has never been done before. And I, we love Fox. He's now at Birdie G's on the west side in LA. If you haven't been, check that out. Six, are, are, are the mysterious person that joined us at Saison that fateful even, evening. My, I flew out with Peter Serpico to have dinner at French Laundry under the last sort of month under Corey Lee's leadership, where he basically served my own fucking menu. <laughs> and the first time a server at French Laundry ever said, this is never dropped chopsticks before. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll remember that like he cooked the entire dinner himself, but he made this um, tomato tartatan type of thing with burrata and sliced tomatoes that could only be done all of a new and shingled in a way. It was my, not that I, not my favorite version. It was my favorite version of Corey because it was still raw. He was still, it was super finesse, super, super dialed in. You're talking about arguably the, one of the very, very best ever of all time. But it was interesting to see him still honing in what Benny was going to be. That opened a couple of years later. It was much more French influence. It was really that opening menu of Co. And he'll deny it to this fucking day, but he was like, fuck you, motherfucker. That's our friendship. He will deny it, which leads me to believe 100% that he, uh, somebody who just denies what they do may, would deny slicing a punching bag in half. <laughs> <laughs> but that meal was awesome. That was my first and only meal at French Laundry. I went there for, for him, you know? Um, the only thing I think I had that was calorie-oriented was the cornets, right? The, the, the Salmon cornets, yeah. I mean, though, honestly... The, the amuse bouche, the the canapé course at, at at French Laundry, that you can still see in the cookbook, that is arguably the greatest first hour in any fucking meal you could possibly have. It is still just unfucking real. <laughs> I mean, it really is unreal. See, I can talk about this shit all the time. I know. Like my favorite part about that, I agree with you, and I think those like salmon cornets defy all logic and are so delicious. But my favorite part is like there's a cookbook about them. Like you're gonna fucking make that co- <laughs> those fucking cocktail hours. Oyster and pearls, un- unreal. So good. Okay, my num- number five. So we're getting to the top five here. And again, this wasn't in order, but this is what I wrote down when it came to mind when I was going one. I could go longer, but I just stopped because you finished talking. You're one through five. <laughs> my first meal at Seventy One Clinton Fresh Food mm. under Wiley Dufresne. Not that I haven't had. Better meals or amazing meals at WD Fifty is later the second restaurant that changed my life. That meal changed my life. Just did. I never seen anything like that. Never seen a chef cook that way. Never seen that. He changed the game. Where were you working? I just come back from Japan with teaching English, and um, you know, I, you heard about this 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 guy that left Jean George, spent some time, you know, opening up Vegas, and at the time before. It, the lower side is what it is today. Nobody really went south for than Katz's, right? And you know, I've talked about the experience before, but just seeing that restaurant in that intimacy, that will never get the credit or importance for changing American gastronomy. Single-handedly was, if I had to tell you what is the most influential restaurant the past 50 years in America, it is 71 Clinton. But for me, that's number five. Number four, my first meal at Noma. And this is pre, uh, well, this is like 2005. This is pre the cookbook that they don't like talking about. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's changed so much. And I've eaten there. I mean, I, I guess we've been, I've eaten there so many fucking times. Um, but that one was amazing because you could sense something was happening. Mm-hmm. That langoustine course and you're dragging it through the oyster emulsion and just how it was. Again, it's that same vibe that, I had when Corey was at French Laundry, right? Where you're like, this is, something is percolating. Something is about to change the game. And it was still in its transition to what it is today. The early days of No More, fucking unreal. There, mm-hmm. If you go to No Now, unreal. But it was a different kind of unreal because it was, how should I say? 
different. It was still unpolished, but very polished. It was wild. They, there was, there was, it has been edited into a very tight thing now. And at that Ser- time, I think servers it was like dropping crazy. the food, you know, and partly they were dropping the food because they were short staffed. So everyone had to be, you know, it was the whole experience was different. And I remember dining by myself being like, this is, this is amazing. I, I, that feeling, again, I just remembering that end feeling I have similar to the end feeling I had when I left Duck House. I was like, oh, fuck, this is amazing. I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but like, I feel this way. My first meal, number three, my la- first meal at Lostrance with Pascal mm. Rabot. I ate it with Christina Tosi. We just done Omnivore in Deauville. And I'll, I, I'll, I, I can remember everything. And I remember when he gave me this mid-course of uh, a fresh yogurt with uh, saffron. Mm. And it, I was like, what the fuck is this? This is when I was like, this guy's working on a whole different level. <laughs> Because the next course was this uh, pork belly clam dish with um, a bitter green vegetable that had salt water in it. Chicory? No, I can't remember the French name. Anyway, uh, the whole dish, I was like, he gave a throwaway dish to set up another dish right. in your palate. He was setting you up with the jab, and you're like, what's yeah. he doing? And then he landed the hook. And then his foie button mushroom with hazelnut oil. Yeah. You know, he had a truffle ice cream. That that whole meal, because you could see the other tables get different courses. <laughs> You're like, oh, fuck. This guy's really cooking all the minute. This guy's really making shit on the fly. This guy's on a whole different level. Two, my first meal at Fat Duck. Again, the George Brock of modern gastronomy, Heston Blumenthal, because it was uh, everything you thought it was. It, it's just one of those things where, like, is it going to be as good as I hope it's going to be? And then you're like, oh, it is... As good as I hope it was going to be. And that was like our first time we were in London as a, as a team for Sambar when we got like 26, 29 in the world. And that was just that moment of celebration. All of us were like, whoa, well, we're never going to get to this level. <laughs> this was a mistake. But also just the, what Fat Duck was and what, was, uh, what you could accomplish in that um, world because it was built on a dream. It really was. I, you know, and you see literally outhouses out, outside. That's... Not to go in the whole story, Fat Doug. And number one is my my first and only meal at LB in, yeah. in 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 two thousand six. Number one, that's the first meal that comes to mind. That's that's that's. I think about it all the time because that's mastery on a level that will never ever be done. I don't give a shit who the fuck you are, you know. And, and like, if the list goes on longer, I'll have you know mugarits. I I I haven't. I just jotted this shit down while you were going through yours. But this was the things that came to mind one through twelve. I think we make this, I think we make the, uh, first of all, what I really love about that list is so much of it is like tied to a time. It's Inyaki at this time, Pascal, when we were celebrating this, uh, 71 Clinton at this moment, French Laundry at this moment. And like that speaks to like, you know, all the stuff we're talking about with these lists, it's like so hard to capture. It's like, it's maybe, it's a window. (laughs) You're not describing a restaurant as a whole you're describing a restaurant on a day at a time with these people there with this happening in my life like that's the beauty of it you know LBE you replicate the situation it. was this bob truitt who started it wasn't 2000 it was 2009 maybe 2009 bob truitt who staged that lbe because will goldfarb worked there one of the very first fucking americans anyway he was supposed to go it was the last season of lbe they were going to close he couldn't make it because work i had 12 hours to buy a ticket, to get on a plane, to get to fucking Barcelona. It was just a mad dash just to get there. When will you ever do something like that again? If you could. Right. It would be like, wait, the, I don't know what example it would be. The, the Beatles or whatever. It's like once in a lifetime opportunity that you, that's the kind of shit that I want, man. You're going to change everything because something happened and you're fortunate enough to have the opportunity to do something privileged enough. Those are the experiences that I crave and that I miss. And um, again, like that's just me. That's how I feel. But I remember the circumstances more than the meal sometimes. Yeah. No, I think that that's it. The circumstances more than the meal. And, And I'm thinking about some friends I have who are like, who just love ticking off boxes not just on restaurants. They just love making sure we did X, Y, and Z on our list. And you'll like the, the 50 best list will come out or the hundred best list will come out and you'll just like count 
and like check mark like every single one you've been to and it's like what is the point of that do you remember any of those like if it's just about like collecting check marks then like you're missing out i think that's from like the diner perspective i mean i i think what we're we, what we want to do is find some way to have people share these experiences right so it's not just this monolith of one thing right so we need the major publications that have their lists. We need the vigilante foodism that's happening on social media. But like, I think what we need to have is the community of everybody else in a way that, um, you know, we're still trying to figure out what, what, what would be the thing, but that's coming to mind is how do we get more people to share their shit? That's our part to play in this. Like we're not, but we're not just sitting here to criticize. Like we're trying to find our, our, what we're talking about and how to do it. Stay tuned for another podcast. Give us five stars. 